Welcome. 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 To X-Rated Movies. This is a movie podcast by two guys who used to date and now they don't. Now we talk about movies. I am one of your hosting duo, Ryan Whedon. I'm the other hosting duo. I myself am two separate people, Matthew and Fisher. Woo! It's like uh, being at a Pearl Jam concert. (laughs) I hope it's better than that. (laughs) I don't know. I once heard of a guy paying up to $3,000 for a ticket for it. That's crazy. Too much money. Too much money. I would like to bring something to your attention. Sure. You know how we're always asking people to, well, not always, but we just started asking people to start sending us ideas to uh, to to talk about during this portion of the show? It's been a big help. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's taken a lot of pressure off. Uh, well, I got a response from my good friend, Emily Duncan, longtime listener of the show. Mm-hmm. I think she listens all the time. I don't know. I think she listens even if she doesn't know the episode, so mm. or know the movie, which is great. But uh, she wrote in and said, what if we looked at a list of the stuff coming slash leaving Netflix in the next week and pick something we shouldn't miss or just ripped on something that sounds terrible? So let's dive in. Let's give that a shot. Well, you know what's leaving that I didn't even know was on there, but we'll have to watch Charlie St. Cloud. (laughs) What's that? Uh, It's one of those awful like Nicholas Spark romance things. Oh, okay. Um, Accomplished sailor. (laughs) (laughs) Charlie St. Cloud has the adoration of his mother Claire and his little brother Sam, as well as a college scholarship that will lead him far away from his sleepy Pacific Northwest hometown. But his bright future is cut short when tragedy strikes and takes his dreams with it. After his high school classmate Tess returns home unexpectedly, Charlie grows torn between honoring a promise he made four years earlier and moving forward with newfound love. And as he finds the courage to let go of the past for good, Charlie discovers the soul most worth saving is his own. <laughs> wow. Starring Zach Efron. <laughs> what? Oh my God, I totally want to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> So it's Zac Efron as an accomplished sailor. Uh, I'm going to imagine that some kind of accident happens and he's in a a wheelchair. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like the images that I'm seeing from the movie, he's pretty able-bodied. So it can't be that bad. Zac Efron circa 2010. That was like him at like his hot prime before he turned into the beefcake that he is now. Yeah. But far enough away from high school musical that... You know, you don't have to feel bad about masturbating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like I'll still masturbate, but there's just that tinge of guilt about like, oh, it. He's, in, he's playing someone in high school. I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, cool, 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 cool. Do you know who plays uh, the mom? Um, Kim Basinger, maybe. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, it's either that or Ray Liotta. Okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed it's Ray Liotta. <laughs> what color wig are you picturing him wearing? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm going Cher style. I think oh. I think Ray Liotta is doing Jack McFarlane doing Cher. I see, okay. Turning this yeah. Tattered jeans, like patched up jeans. He's like a hip mom <laughs> one that you know grew up just enough to raise the kids but still has a little bit of that rough edge <laughs> you're gonna take that scholarship <laughs> and you're gonna go for it you made a promise dear <laughs> this pacific northwest mom has a boston accent yeah <laughs> That scholarship was wicked good, you see. <laughs> now you go and you you fulfill your future, you southy piece of trash. Zachy, you gotta get back here. You gotta take care of what you done. You made a promise to your little brother. <laughs> Sam St. <Saint> Clair. <laughs> little Sammy. 
<laughs> Maybe little Sammy is Kim Basinger. <laughs> they're, they're just doing a Benjamin Button on her. <laughs> she's got like, I'm picturing her with one of those propeller caps. <laughs> she's got like an oversized lollipop. <laughs> Fun fact, the same costume designer uh, was originally famous from Leave it to Beaver. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a long career. <laughs> yeah. Good for that. Use the same costumes <laughs> on every set, regardless of the characters. <laughs> they come home, honey, the, they didn't buy my pitch for... <laughs> For the costumes for the Terminator series. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, if you loosened up about <laughs> what they can wear. No! I make propeller caps, damn it. Those overalls won't even fit on Schwarzenegger's arm. <laughs> I just think he'd be right. I just think it'd be right for the for the part. All right, we need to do a super cut of uh, the Terminator movies with every ca- with every character wearing a little propeller beanie <laughs> and like overalls yeah. and instead of guns they've got huge lollipops yeah <laughs> anybody with photoshop skills out there want to want to tackle that well i saw uh some sort of edit yesterday of jurassic park where everyone's wearing high heels even the dinosaurs oh, yeah <laughs> i love that <sighs> so anyway charlie st cloud highly recommended <laughs> charlie st cloud i am definitely tuning into that before it leaves netflix Thank you for the suggestion, Emily. That that proved fruitful. <laughs> yeah, you got till uh, March 18th to get that one under your belt. All right, all right. I guess this makes sense. All the stuff leaving Netflix is like movies and television shows, like non-original stuff, and all the stuff coming to Netflix, like 90% of it is original. Jeez. Like, See, I don't want that. <laughs> I'm, I guess I struggle to get super excited because, like, seriously, if, like, I'm looking at this list here, if 50 different things are coming to netflix this month and like how many of them are going to be worth watching that's their model isn't it like they want to make stuff that they can make fast are you saying they didn't put the utmost care into walk ride rodeo (laughs) maybe i don't (laughs) watch that's gonna be like the next russian doll or something like that (laughs) which i really liked i don't know if you watched it i haven't watched that one yet but yeah i keep hearing good things it was good I kind of like that they're in the original content game, but I mean, I subscribe because I like to be able to see your other junk too, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, I that's feel where I watch Star Trek, you know? <laughs> yeah. I feel like, uh, Netflix is best for original content and Hulu is better for TV. Yeah. Actually, maybe I might switch over to watching my Star Trek shows on Hulu now because they just lowered their rates. Yeah. Netflix just raised theirs. Yeah. So fuck them. They lowered their rates for ad version i think yeah 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 because yeah. uh a hulu exec once told me that they make more money off ad subscriptions than hulu plus subscriptions how do you wait how many hulu ad execs do you know uh i'm sorry i work in the financial industry <laughs> i know all sorts of big wigs i see okay yeah all sorts of financiers and uh, money managers and money coaches. You're just hitting those airport lounges and smoking cigars and rubbing elbows with the elite. <laughs> You've lost touch, man. Yeah, like I might be like, you know, 99%, like that's too broad. What's the bottom 99%? What's a nice way to say poor? <laughs> like there isn't one. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm I'm Seattle poor. Like mm-hmm. if I lived any place else in this country other than like San Francisco or Manhattan, I'd be thinking about home ownership. But no, I live in a one bedroom apartment with no dishwasher. <laughs> but close proximity to bars, pal- bathhouses. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. There is a Pagliacci walking distance from my house. This is not so. a paid advertisement, although I did have... I, I can see the salad that I got from there. It's a big salad. I can see why it was 1,200 calories. <laughs> it's delicious. You wanna, should I ASMR it right now? Like me eating it? Yeah, you should. 
That's all the the rave right now is those ASMR like videos. Yeah. This is a Pagliacci salad from Pagliacci pizza in my mouth. Mm, this is hot quality pod right here. <laughs> I mean, this isn't just ASMR. This is VSMR because that salad looks delicious. <laughs> um, Pagliacci, if you uh, want to give us some uh, <laughs> free, free salads, <laughs> I'm happy to eat it on the air again. We'll have a full fucking PASMR minute where we you, people just listen to us eating your salad and, yeah. you know, how good it sounds. Hey, you need to you need to start rubbing elbows with those Pagliacci big wigs. <laughs> see what that see where that gets you. Well, I don't know. Italians, it's gonna be like a Godfather situation over there. I'm sure Pagliacci is just a front for some sort of like hitman drug laundering situation because they can't be making all that money off their pizza. <laughs> Yeah. There goes our sponsorship. <laughs> Speaking of businesses that are just a front for something nefarious, that brings us to today's movie. It's the 2007 Tim Burton movie, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. So this is in my continuing exploration of you being wrong about stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Previously, you wanted me to sort of make a case for the movie. Okay. But that was when it was a good movie. Okay. And I had to like explain why it was good. And then you would rebut. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. But with this one, this is a bad movie that you think is good. Do you still, like, you want me to make the case, or does the movie well, speak for itself in I this have, instance? I have a question for you. Is it, yeah? How big is this question? It's a, it's a pretty big question. Okay. You said that this is a movie that is generally considered bad. Mm-hmm. Well, when I went online, <laughs> it seems to be generally well-received. Bots and trolls. That's all it is. That includes Roger Ebert and <laughs> A.O. Scott of the New York Times. Bots and trolls. But <laughs> how but about the uh, the uh, the Foreign Press Association? <laughs> Bunch of drunks is what they are. <laughs> I'm just curious who these people are that you mentioned last week. That uh, that, that is everyone that doesn't <laughs> like this movie. So it could just be my social circle. It's true. I mean, it doesn't have like stellar ratings. It's sort of middling a little bit, but I watched this with a couple friends and we all collectively realized while watching it that this was the last Tim Burton movie that we saw in theaters. Okay. So even if it isn't like a terrible, terrible movie, collectively, like independently, I I should say, it made Tim Burton drop off our like must see list. Okay. This is the... Currently, the the only movie I've ever fallen asleep to in theaters. Wow. Oh, no, I take that back. I fell asleep during all three Lord of the Rings movies. <laughs> all three of them came out when I was in high school. Oh, okay. And it's like, went to school in the morning, and my high school started at 745. Jesus. Uh, and then I worked, like, I had an after-school job, and then I went to midnight opening night showings. So For three-hour movies? Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, it's reasonable to fall asleep during these things. But like Sweeney Todd, I call like a matinee and was fully caffeinated and fell asleep. So, okay, I'll concede that uh, perhaps like the reviews and the general consensus isn't like overwhelmingly bad, but definitely at least in the circles that I run with, and especially fans of the original musical, Mm -hmm. really don't like the Tim Burton version. See, I love the original. Mm -hmm. I caught the PBS airing with Angela Lansbury as a youth and was captivated. So this is my main beef with the movie is that they hire actors and not singers Mm -hmm. but like angela lansbury was like a a broadway darling like she can sing is is my point there or you know the version that i'm 
passingly familiar with is uh, Patti Lapone. Right. These are singers, though. Johnny Depp's not a singer. Helena Bottom Carter's not a singer. Alan Reckman is definitely not a singer. And it really shows. And I feel like even quick listens against trained theatrical singers, like the, the musicality in this is so bad in comparison. See, I don't agree. I think actually Helena Bottom Carter does a great job singing. Really? See, yeah. I actually have almost like... She's like the middle bad one. Like I think Alan Rickman's the worst, which pains me because I love him as an actor so much. I think he's fine, serviceable. Uh, and then Helena Bottom Carter's in the middle, and then I think Johnny Depp is the least worst. But I also feel like they don't push him to do very hard songs. I kind of like that they're not perfect singers. Like I think it adds an element of sort of grit to everything. I don't know. I guess I just didn't think that they were that bad. Yeah, I mean, they weren't as bad as I remember them being. Like, I, my memory of Alan Rickman is, like, him being bad. Mm-hmm. And, like, this time I'm like, oh, he's not bad. He's just sort of stiff and monotone in it. And when I watch him sing, I f- get the feeling that he's not comfortable singing. Like, he's not confident in his singing performance. Yeah. And that's sort of just making him rigid. You see, sir, a man infatuated with love, her ardent and eager slave. So fetch the pomade and pumice stone and lend me a more seductive tone, a sprinkling perhaps of French cologne. But first, sir, I think a shave. Helen Bonham Carter, who's, you know, such a gifted actress, she throws herself in it, but her enunciation's a little soft. And I find that, like, without the subtitles, sometimes I struggle to find out what she's actually saying hmm. or singing. Uh, and same with Johnny Depp. Like, he d- he can't, like, hit the notes hard. Like, he kind of has to hold back a little bit. And Sondheim is so, like, innately theatrical yeah. that, like, toning it down seems to do a disservice to the material itself. See, I like it. I think it... It, it allows them to be more emotive with the, with it rather than having to like hit the notes so you can get to the rafters, you know, like mm-hmm. they're allowed to be more quiet because if you watch and I did some of the that original PBS special that I was talking about, Angela Lansbury looks like she's on crack. <gasps> ah, customer. But how does it sound? <clears throat> I mean, it sounds fine. Like okay. it's she's obviously a singer. It's just a different way of portraying this story like it's a little more hectic it's not quite as sad and somber mm-hmm. like this version has a little bit more dark gothy tones to sure it. there's there's a little more humor in the stage play but i like that about it i think that like that's nice i really like the color correction stuff that that goes on with it really i found it a little drab in that department that's what uh, I like about it. It's very dark grays. Oh, you but I mean s- drab like uninspired. Oh. Like you can do gray and have it still be vivid or interesting. And, and in fact, I feel like Tim Burton has done drab, like Sleepy Hollow, I think, does drab in an interesting way. Mm. Where here, I don't know, I feel like he's trying to recreate what he did in Sleepy Hollow, but to less effect. It's too monochromatic for you? Yeah, like I feel like the grays are just dull. And then, like, the flashback sequences that are in sort of, like, you know, rose-tinted technicolor, yeah, are, I don't know, it's just a little too easy and a little too uh, mechanical, a little bit. I like it because when the blood starts to fly, Mm -hmm. uh, it really pops. uh, The actual like throat slitting stuff is done pretty well. Okay. I was going to say, I'm like, I was really surprised considering I know how much you like, you know, gallo style paint blood. Yeah. Like this this movie's that's all the kind of blood we get with and it. And like when the dead bodies would like go through the yeah. compartment like hit the ground, I was like, mm, that's pretty good too. Good job yeah. there." But I don't know, there's there's something I don't think Tim Burton's aesthetic is really appropriate all the time. Like fucking Johnny Depp with his rogue style stripe in his hair. Uh-huh. I just I don't buy it. Like I just, it sticks out too much for me. I don't think Tim Burton's sensibilities were precisely right. Like I can see how, like from a Hollywood movie exec, you'd be like, "Oh, we'll get Tim Burton to do this macabre musical." Yeah, he's, you know, he's had success with musicals before. You know, Corpse Bride, Nightmare Before Christmas. He's worked music into his movies successfully. You know, Harry Belafonte and Beetlejuice, stuff like that. 
So I can see how on paper it would work out, but when I watch, I'm like, uh, it seems a little too modern gothic for it, and I don't know. I'll concede a little bit there. I I can feel what you're saying a tiny bit because there is something very 70s about the music in this. Like, Stephen Sondheim's sound feels very 70s Broadway to me. Not in a bad way, but it is a little jarring when you place that next to, you know, 1800s London town. Yeah, and Sondheim... But I'm just going to say it. I'm not the biggest Sondheim fan to begin with. (gasps) That's okay. That's okay. Not everybody has taste. (laughs) I think my problem is, like, I've never seen him on stage, Mm -hmm. uh, except in, like, YouTube videos. I really feel like his stuff is meant for the stage. Like, you need that, like, extra spark of, like, sharing the same oxygen as the people on stage. Mm. Because, I mean, there really hasn't been a great film adaptation of a Sondheim movie has or play, has there? I don't know. I, I saw Into the Woods a couple of years ago, and sure. it was just like, that was okay. Yeah, and I, I've seen a film stage production of Into the Woods. Oh, the Burned at Peter's one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Theater gays love that. <laughs> oh, they do. That I mean, that's <laughs> why I watched it as a, a theater gay. I was like, you have to see this one. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Yeah. They're long. Yeah, I mean, this... Sweeney Todd's originally like three hours, mm. and he cut it down to two. In doing so, I feel like they cut out some of the better parts of the songs, like the chorus parts, like the sort of big brassy parts. Yeah, I feel like they really focused on Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd's relationship, mm-hmm. which uh, I didn't mind. One thing I don't like about this version, my favorite song from the Broadway run is the one like after they've started making people into pies and like the place is busy and it's supposed to be like very hectic and she's like Toby Yeah by the way Toby best singer I- <laughs> well, he was good, but I just uh, I had flashbacks of Extra every time they said his name. <laughs> Tony! <laughs> but, uh, that song, uh, in the when I remember watching it that first time, I was like, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this because it was like hectic and it sounds like, you know, all over the place. And this one, it's like the tempo's kind of slow and it doesn't seem like quite... It doesn't have the frenetic energy that well, you'd need in like a busy, busy establishment, you know? That That's... <sighs> See, I feel like that's what this is missing. Like some of the, I'm not a musician, so I don't know the, the technical terms, but like some of the the rounds that you would see in in the original version, where people are singing over each other, but it's like hitting like the the counterpoint measures just right. And I feel like that's missing here because no one's a good enough singer to be able to like stay on tempo and hit the notes enough to like sing over each other and still have it be intelligible to the audience. See, I'm going to disagree with you on that point. I would like more of it. I guess I'll, I'll give you that. But that one scene when they first go up into the abandoned apartment mm-hmm. and they're singing and he's singing about his lost wife and uh, Mrs. Lovett is singing about how I'm here for you. I've always loved you. And like they just interweave it really just perfectly. You there, my friend. I'm your friend. Come, Mr. let Tom. me hold you. If you only now, hold you your warm in my hand, my friend. For me, it works. For me, it's like their voices meld great. I got, I got, you know, some goosebumps when they'd hit some notes together. Mm. No. <laughs> I, yeah, like when it gets to the, those points, like Johnny Depp singing, like it's serviceable, but it, it just, it sounds like he's singing while pushing out a hard turd, you know? <laughs> He's like, ah, And Helen Bonham Carter, who, like, once again, I want to reiterate that I, I love her as an actress. I think she's a brilliant, multifaceted actress who can go from, like, 
Fight Club to Remains of the Day seamlessly, mm-hmm. or you know, King's Speech or something like. She can play She's... gutter trash, and she can play the fucking Queen of England, yeah. and it's a seamless transition. She's looking a little Marla in this movie, by the she way. She is looking <laughs> a little Marla in this movie. What also pains me about it is that it's not that there's actors and actresses that can't sing, and it's not even like there's other big stars who can't sing. Like If it's a, a star power argument, like you need to get big names to get the funding for this movie... Like, I I understand that argument, but there are big names who can sing, but Tim Burton just insists on having his friends in the movie. Johnny Depp's not known as a singer, but he insisted on having Johnny Depp in, and it's like, he was dating Helen Bottom Carter at the time, it's like, she's not known as a singer, but he was dating her, so he's like, we gotta have her in the movie. Johnny Depp won the Golden Globe for the best actor this year for this performance. Do you disagree with the Hollywood foreign press? I do, because the Golden Globes are the whoriest event in Hollywood. The Hollywood foreign press is like 70 people. If you wine and dine those 70 people over the course of award season, then they're more inclined to give you an award. You know, you can't bribe them outright, but you can have a special screening at, you know, some private hacienda and you know, wine and dine and, and schmooze the, you know, it's only 70 people like no golden globes. Like I, I like them because they are a horrier event. Like, you know, people are noticeably drunk when they go up to take their awards. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, they're drinking wine at their tables. Like, but at the same time, like I kind of put less stock in the golden globes because the judges are so easily swayed mm. by, such things. Um, who would you like to have seen instead of Johnny Depp? Ray uh, Liotta? <laughs> hmm. Ray Liotta, Kim Basinger. <laughs> and Zach Efron. Yeah. As, as Judge Turpin. Oh. <laughs> Turpin, I'm sorry. Turpin. <laughs> I don't know. I'm struggling to think of someone who can sing right off the bat. Put a pin in that. I'll okay, get back yeah, yeah. to it. <clears throat> Well, I have another question. Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, my God. He's great in this movie. Hi, I'm Adolfo Pirelli, the king of the barbers, the barber of kings. Hey, buongiorno, good day. I blow you a kiss. And I, the so famous Pirelli, I wish I to know who has the nerve to serve. My elixir is peace. Who says this? He should have played Johnny Depp's role because he can actually sing, it seems. Yeah, and act. He's a good actor. I I actually feel that he's a very good actor. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like him in this movie. And like the little rivalry they have is sort of my favorite part of the movie. When was the last time you witnessed a shaving contest? (laughs) You know, longtime listeners might remember that I have sort of a secret fondness for classical music. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about it a lot. But uh, Barbara Seville, of course, is a very famous opera. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I like I think back, I was like, Sweeney Todd was about a barber. Barbara Seville, like, why was it about these barbers? I guess commercial, like, straight razors, like, weren't available up until, like, the 1940s or something. Oh. So if you wanted a shave, you had to go to a barber shop. Oh. And in order to be seen as, like proper gentleman of society you couldn't walk around with scruff right so it was like barbara was the place to go for these those sorts of things interesting side note have you ever gotten like a straight shave at a barber i haven't i've kind of want to treat myself to one of those me too um, we should do it we should do ooh, it ooh, ooh, let's start a GoFundMe and then see if people will do it and then <laughs> we can twenty dollars for a straight raise <laughs> we're sure to hit the goal <laughs> and everyone that contributes will say your name on the podcast as well as something nice about you. Tim and Michael. <laughs> Have you ever had hot shaving cream applied on your skin? No. Is that um, a thing? Can they do that? Yeah. One of the uh, barber shops on the hill here, uh, even when just doing a, a haircut, and they'll put hot shaving cream on your neck to like get the shape around like the base of your hair right feels pretty good hmm. like i see the appeal like that's what made me kind of I was like i kind of want this all over my face <laughs> <laughs> let's do it oh well, yeah let's, let's i don't make a date i don't <laughs> i don't uh you know clean shave i like to have stubble yeah I, i'm the same I'm like homosexual I, I, I haven't done a clean shave in 
10 years maybe this will be fun <laughs> we'll look like different people you also like to pamper yourself I, I notice oh my god i have to these days <laughs> uh, oh i have a gift certificate for a float uh sensory oh, deprivation yeah? tubs great so we should do that sometime too <laughs> oh my god i'm totally keeping this part <laughs> Uh, okay, okay, so I have, I have a question for you. What did you feel about the opening credits? Hmm. Because... You mean, like, where it's, like, showing, like, the sewer and shit like that? Yeah, I... Well, I just, in general, as soon as the movie started, I was like, what's the problem with this movie? Because, like, these... <laughs> Pardon? Because <laughs> the opening... Re- credits... Rewind a little bit of... Whoop! What was that? <laughs> what's the problem with this movie? <laughs> oh. Because... <laughs> Like the these the opening credits are everything you want in opening credits, right? Like it has an overture yeah. of all the music. It shows like the place. It shows the gears. It shows the blood. It shows the pies. It shows it all. And it's just like you know, back in Flight of the Navigator, you were you were the upset dogs because dogs were upset because you're like, where were the? Why didn't that come back? <laughs> but like everything in this opening credit sequence was there. It's true. But while watching it this time, and the reason why I didn't hated as much i won't say that i hate the movie i feel like everything good about it comes from the sondheim musical and then tim burton doesn't add anything to it oh i might have trouble arguing against that well i mean you like the singers and you like their restrained theatrics and things like that but i did find that most of the time i was just like i just like this musical so yeah because i mean the plot is pretty solid i do like how it develops and by the time like we're getting to like the end, it kind of has that uh, you know what's the what's the the saying from Kill Bill where it's like uh, revenge is never a straight line. It's a forest, and like a forest, it's easy to lose your way. And this movie does a really good job of illustrating that because it's like he set out to kill Judge Turpin. Mm-hmm. But by the time we're getting into like the third act, like deep into it, he has this just pile of bodies down there. They're contemplating killing that kid. No. And it's really just like, oh, he set out for revenge. And it's like, look at this, you know, trail of bodies in his pursuit that he's left Mm -hmm. like i like that but that's just the source material yeah 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 yeah. i yeah like as soon as you said that you don't think tim burton necessarily brings anything to it that's a little bit harder to argue for i will say i don't know like there's some tim burton flair that i liked okay two things that i really liked and uh i'm gonna go ahead and credit tim burton for this first one even though it's more about the actor during that scene after our young other sailor with the long hair, I don't remember that character's name. Anthony? Sure. After he gets kicked out of um, the judge's house and he's all bloody and he's like, his hair's messed up and he's got like crazy blood in his mouth and he's singing the Joanna song, which is a really beautiful kind of song. If a little possessive in like a male sort of way. Yeah. But um, he's got blood all over him. And that's this is the first time we see blood in the movie. And mm. he's like singing. He looks, he's got this crazed look on his, on his eyes. And the camera's kind of swooping around him as he's doing it. I'll steal you, Joanna. I'll steal you. Do they think that wolves can hide you? Even now I'm at your window I am in the dark beside you Buried sweetly in your yellow hair And I remember the first time I saw this movie I was kind of like, eh, on it until that moment And then Mm. I was like, oh, actually, this is pretty cool Like, Mm. it feels, now it feels like a weird Tim Burton movie Mm. I liked that a lot There's another one, like when uh, Judge Turpin comes in for the first time to get the shave and they're singing Pretty Women. Yeah. Pretty women, fascinating, sipping coffee. 
And the way the camera's moving in that scene too, it almost feels like dancing. The way they kind of, like Johnny Depp's waving his razor around and the way the camera kind of mimics that mm. um, is nice. Like it fits the feel of the music, the camera movement does. And I think that that takes a real amount of talent to pull something like that off. Okay, yeah, that's true. I've been going through like the whole Tim Burton filmography lately, and there's some real stinkers in this like last decade or so. Yeah. Of that pile of stinkers, this one kind of floats to the top. It's not great, but it's it's the cream of the stinky yeah bottom ninety nine percent. I kind of feel just because the source material was so strong, he could really just focus on directing and not like like I feel like the bones of everything was already here sure. like there was already stage productions that he could have watched and he could be like oh, well how, how am I going to have the camera operate in this scene or something like that whereas if Sondheim had written this and this was going to be like the first interpretation of it ever I feel like it would have been a lot worse like I think the only reason that he was able to do anything good with it was because something good already existed from it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are you just expecting more from it because it is a tim burton joint yeah it could be i mean these later tim burton movies it's weird because i've been watching them like uh in a chronological and reverse chronological like i watched peewee's big adventures first with Miss Peregrine's School for Unusual Children, which was his last. Like and you been did like, with the Stephen King movies. Right. Well, that was way more convoluted than okay. that. <laughs> uh, and I've been working my way towards the middle. Okay. And like I'm seeing like a narrative, like a thematic narrative in his early movies, and I'm not seeing it in his later movies. Mm-hmm. Like he's really just like, I made a movie, money, please. <laughs> yeah, even here, I kind of feel like he's like, okay, this is like 75% done for me already. I'm just going to like do some shading and, and color it in and collect my paycheck. We talked about this a little bit on Beetlejuice too, where it was like, how the fuck did this movie get made? Yeah. But they're like, I don't know. He, he seems to make money. So here, yeah. make whatever you want. I feel like there is that possibility that he is able to say any project I want to do. I will. <laughs> I but I, and this movie made a ton of money, not in the U.S. but like worldwide. It made. A, there's nothing about the movie that made me think that he was even that much of a fan of the original he or said of the source he, material. Well, in interviews, he says he was like he saw it in '79 at some like stage production of it, okay. and watched it three nights in a row. He liked yeah, it so okay. much. So I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like he was that super passionate about it. I don't feel like the movie stands alone as like a unique representation of the play or of the musical or of the material. Like, I feel like it's a fine extension of what's already existed, but it's not like he like breathed new life into it or something. I still really like it. Like, I feel like (laughs) two hours just flies by and it might be just because I really like this story and I really like the music. I mean, Steven Sondheim, he's kind of untouchable when it comes to musicality. Like you can't, I'm not going to say you're going to leave watching this like humming the melodies or anything. Yeah, he's not. But but he, if you you know if you know music and can like know themes and how like expanding and like bringing things in and returning themes and you know like for example when they're singing like nothing's going to harm you like the kids singing it to uh Miss Love it it's like very pure all major like consonant sounds. Nothing's going to harm you. While I'm around. And then as soon as she sings it, there's this weird violin that comes over it and it's like very dissonant all of a sudden and you know that she's lying. Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Nothing's gonna harm you, stuff like that is you know it's kind of composer 101 but Mm. like he just does it so well i don't know it works for me i don't think that sondheim is like the most tuneful of composers 
I guess he's a big fan of the minimalist Steve Reich. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you listen to like Steve Reich and then listen to Sondheim, like you can kind of see it. Like there, he uses like that timbre of like Steve Reich compositions. He just kind of like filters it through like a show tune idiom. But I also kind of feel like that's what makes his plays watchable is that because not every song is an earworm or because every song isn't like trying to be like a a wicked style song, like or hook or hit that it kind of creates like a, a, a good body having it be like a, you know, not necessarily something that's trying to get stuck in your ear helps it breathe. Like you can listen to one song and not get exhausted from it. And like, you can go through three hours of a musical or however long the original was and not be exhausted by the end of it. Like, you know, if you listen to three hours of ABBA, like that would be exhausting. Hey, don't talk to me about (laughs) disco. (laughs) Hours of disco. (laughs) With Sondheim, like, the music itself, I think you can listen to it for a long period of time without it, like, draining you. Yeah, because he's constantly inventing, and he's, he's like, he's more of, like, a classical composer where he's got themes, which he brings back, and leitmotifs, and he, you know, composes musically. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, he's more of a intellectual composer in that way and Mm -hmm. i love it like Mm -hmm. i I understand that he's not for everybody because sometimes people just want a a hooky pop song he envisions it for the stage and i feel like he's just one of those playwrights that knows his medium so well and does it for the nuances and specifically for that medium so well that it doesn't translate to other mediums like even when i watch filmed productions there's something lost well filmed stage productions are always awful yeah (laughs) i feel like i don't think i've ever seen a good one i watched one of company funny enough oh okay yeah that uh ladies who lunch yeah i liked uh but mostly it was probably the same thing where it's like i like the music and i like the Sondheiminess of it, but like mm-hmm. the actual thing I watched was kind of crummy. Okay. So like, I don't know, like Sondheim really likes this version of this. Oh, so, does he? Yeah. He's, he's a big fan. He's weird. <laughs> like <laughs> I know that he doesn't like his lyrics for West Side Story. What? Yeah. Like, it, Girl. like he, <laughs> I don't think he has like a really good reason. He's just like, I just don't like it. That's like one of the most important musicals. I know. <laughs> ever. I mean, he didn't write the music to that one, right? But, but uh, still, yeah, he just—he doesn't lyrically. He doesn't think he did a good job on it. He doesn't feel pretty, <laughs> or witty, or gay. Yeah. <laughs> is he a gay? I don't know. I feel like he is. Hmm. All right, Google machine, <laughs> hold, please. Someone is screaming at their phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> As of 2010, the composer was in a relationship with Jeff Romley, which I'm assuming is a dude, or Ray Liotta on a wig. (laughs) Yay. Oh, good. We can count him as one of our own. He lived with dramatist Peter Jones for eight years in the 1990s. So, yeah. Confirmed homosexual? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yeah. That's good news. Yeah. This might be a big question. We'll see if I do it or not. (laughs) Okay. Um, what the fuck is up with like Victorian England and like little girls dressing up as boys and no one figuring out that it's a girl? (laughs) I got crazy tipping the velvet vibes at the end there where Joanna's just put a hat on and he's like, you boy right there. (laughs) Oh yeah. Which was sort of like a, a loose end that never really got tied up yeah i was thinking like what happened to joanna and that one dude yeah i'm i assume in the actual three-hour musical they they tie that up but like i don't know what happened to her um well you know the maybe part of its willful ignorance (laughs) um you know the other part of it might be that uh you know maybe there's not as big a difference in the genders as we all like to think that there is (laughs) Or number three, uh, that soft butch is just really the look everyone should be adopting. 
You there, young boy. <laughs> I'll give you a halfpenny. <laughs> You'll come and clean my chimney. I've got some hair here that needs sweeping. You there, I'll give you a nice shiny ducket to clean my pipes. <laughs> I need you to heat this shaving cream for me. <laughs> now work it into a nice lather. It's got to be foaming hot, it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, yeah, right at the end of, uh, oh, it feels like that's like a little storyline that should have been tied up. Yeah, I didn't. I, it didn't hit me while I was watching it, but de definitely afterwards, I was like, "Wait a minute, what did happen to them? Did they like end up together or what?" And they just sort of, we just sort of forget about them. I guess it was like it's kind of like the at the end there that tra the tragedy part of it is just like we're like steamrolling ahead on mm -hmm. it, uh, like where he kills his wife, and then all of a sudden he tells his daughter like, "Forget my face," and then yeah, like all this shit. Where it's just, I just kind of chalked it up to that. But um, I do want to know what happens with her and Anthony. Yeah, a little bit. Did they end up together or did they run away? Or And then also what happened to a uh, little kid, good singer kid, <laughs> Toby. 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 Did he go on to murder more people or what? I want to know if he just went on to bigger fame because he was a good singer. Yeah. Ten bucks says he played Gavroche in Les Miserables at some point. Uh, not according to Encarta. You still have that CD-ROM? <laughs> Uh, let me, uh, update it real quick. <laughs> well, I wonder where he is now. Uh, probably in school. <laughs> yeah. He's like seven in this movie. Let's see. Sweeney Toya, blah, 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 blah. Born in 1993. So he's 26 now. Ooh. Oh, not in school anymore. Old enough to date. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> It's not that no, wait, far no, wait. off from my that's age. Not, that can't be right. He's 26 now? It says he was born in 1993. So when this movie was made... 25 to 26, depending on... It doesn't give a month when he was born, but... No, 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 but still, when this movie was made, that means that he was... 14. He does not look 14. No, he really doesn't, He but... looks like an 8-year-old. Well, I mean, he was probably 13 when the movie was filmed. He looks much younger than that. He does. It's true. Do you think that's on his resume? He's like, I can play anywhere from 8 to 17. <laughs> no, he's 26 now. That's totally age appropriate for me to date. I'm sure. Yeah, go for it. I don't care. I don't know if he's attractive. Like, it's not like I was lusting for him in this movie. And his IMDb photo is him as a 13-year-old, so. <laughs> Are you sure it's not just him at 26 wearing, like, a propeller beanie <laughs> cap and, like, having a large Hold lolly? <laughs> Because that can make him look really young. I think I'm out of things to say on this movie. I know, I'm done too. I, I, I still like it. And in fact, I think I liked it a little more this time around than I did the first time. I liked it a little bit more than when I originally saw it, but I still don't like it. I have to agree to disagree. Stalemate. I guess it's time to find out what we're going to watch next week. So remember back when we reached 100 episodes and we were going through the decades of things that we've done and we realized <laughs> that there were some real blind spots? Uh-huh. Um, when gaming before 1980. Yeah. So I'm... <laughs> Slowly filling that in. Okay. Uh, this is going to fill two gaps for us. Number one, it's going to put a movie on the map for us from the 1940s. Oh, okay. And um, it's also going to fill a Hitchcock void. Oh. Think you can guess the movie? Rope. Yes. <laughs> of course. Yeah. We've talked about doing it, and uh, I think it's about time. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about. I mean, homoerotic tensions... Uh, production design out the wazoo. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, in terms of like a, a a director's craft, like this was like an early auteur moment. I mean, oneers. Yeah, like as <laughs> as far as the camera or the the uh, uh, film reel Canister. could take you. Yeah, are we gonna have to brush up on like the real Leopold and Loeb as well? Fuck yeah. <laughs> 
Okay. 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 Sorry, I didn't okay. mean to swear. I just got excited <laughs> about murder research. Okay. 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 Uh. Anyway, should be fun. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. Alrighty then. You 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 want to plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Well, we have finished the chicken picnic. Everybody, get off your duff and get on the interwebs because we have a website. It's xratedmovies.com. Those worldwide peacock feathers won't fill themselves with content. <laughs> so we're there giving you every single mother effing thing we've got and have created. It's right there at your fingertips. As today's episode proves, we are much better when someone proposes opening banter content to us. So email us at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Get us on Twitter at xratedmovies. Get on us at Facebook at ratedxmovies. Tell us about some shitty movie and we'll figure out who's playing who based on just a simple name of the cast. Yeah. What if nobody enjoyed this week's opening banter and they're like, fuck no. What are you talking about? Our gender role reversal of Charlie St. Cloud. <laughs> what am I talking is about? That's cra- this is crazy talk. You're right. You're right. You're right. And you know what? If you really did enjoy today's opening banter, please put a review on iTunes about how much you enjoyed us doing Ray Liotta impressions, <laughs> along with a few star reviews. And we'll just keep them coming. <laughs> yeah. Did we get everything? Yeah. Okay, until next week when we do rope. We'll see you then. Keep reaching for that rainbow. <laughs>